spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Leviathan is coming, and we are all over it. It's episode 284 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. I feel like I can't miss a second because we have so much to get to on the show this week. The Supergirl cast and producers are going to join me this week to talk about the upcoming season and, of course, a little bit of crossover talk. If that's not enough... Felicia Day is on the show this week to talk about her brand new book, Embrace Your Weird, Face Your Fears, and Unleash Creativity. It's going to be coming out on October 1st, so we'll talk to her about that and so much more as well. Not to mention, yeah, fall TV's in full swing, so I've got reviews of Prodigal Son, Emergence, Stumptown. Let's just get right to it. It's what we're reading next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is writer Dennis Hopeless, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Whether you can hold them in your hand or store them on your computer or your tablet, whatever you're reading with, it's time for what we're reading. And I got to tell you, DC's Black Label has had some pretty interesting stuff. I couldn't wait to check this one out. Harleen, number one from Stepan Sedgik, doing the writing and the art and basically just doing an all-around fantastic job with this book. I mean, the cover alone, the cover alone with Harley's face and the cracked mask was just Freaking awesome. I could not wait to dive into the rest of this oversized first issue. Now, this kind of goes back 30 years. To, excuse me. goes back to when Harley was about 30 years old, and she's still a psychiatrist, still trying to figure out where she's headed. And we get even more backstory on her than just that as the issue kind of progresses out, as a matter of fact. And, I mean, she's yet to even meet the Joker yet, but we actually get to see that a little bit later on, that first meeting. Now, the book actually starts in this sort of a dream state scene that's just so visually striking. It was so well written and really was a great stage setter for what was going to come in the story after that. We do get to see that meeting, really the very beginning of what would ultimately end up being Harley and Joker's relationship, which was super, super interesting. There's also a quick but really great nod and a callback to Jack Nicholson's Joker, which I, I really appreciate that they threw in there. But really, this book was so Harleen-centric. And it's Harleen Quinzel. This is Harleen Quinzel's story. And it's almost like a slow, a very slow descent into madness. And you get to see how it happens, how things kind of take over her. And there's there's a part in this book where Harleen is describing a fight between Batman and Joker happening right in front of her. And it was so incredible the way it was paired with the such visually striking art from the from the smoke that was all around and everything and the shadow play. It was just so amazing. If if the if there weren't words on the page and I was hearing this as like an audiobook, I could close my eyes and and just and I could see everything that was happening. But in this being a comic, you could literally see it right in front of your face. It was just described in and portrayed so well, and that's just part of the story. This is about as origin of an origin story as you can get for Harleen Quinzel becoming Harley Quinn and how that really, really starts. It's like a relationship and descent into madness all at the same time. How 
she became how mentally she became attracted to the Joker and how she became drawn to him, but at the same time, how she slowly but surely started to lose her own mind. And you get to see the very, very beginnings of that and how she was treated as she was coming up in her career and in her personal life and stuff that happened in her past that might have influenced certain decisions that she made. And and what you're getting is you're getting a Harleen that's already made that turn that's narrating this story. And it's so, so interesting. And it was the first of all, the art was fantastic. Second of all, the story was so even if you aren't the biggest Harley Quinn fan, you can sit down and appreciate knowing what you know now. Where did that story start? And we're finally getting a for lack of a better term, adult version of how this could have started, like a real drama slash thriller slash just the way this relationship started. And at the, I mean, in, in utero almost, it was, it's just fantastic. Even the last line of this first book is pure perfection. The way this ended with that line I'm going this that they just get it. This is one of the best first issues I've read in a long time. You have got to get a copy of Harlane number one. If you didn't have it in your pull box already, find your local shop, get it however you can. You're not going to want to miss this story. Next up, I haven't done a dynamite book in a while, so I figured I would jump in and try Vengeance of Vampirella number one. From a bunch of people whose names I'm going to mispronounce, so I apologize for that in advance. Thomas Sningoski is doing the writing here. Michael Stamaria on the art. Ome Remolante Jr. on the colors. Troy Petiri on the letters. And Joshua Middleton doing the cover. Now, this is kind of the story of the evil that finally took down Vampirella. So you get to find out a lot about that character. His name is Mistress Nix. We also find out how long she's been ruling the world. A lot longer than you would think, actually, especially based on how the story is sort of told. Now, we find out if she can be brought back, meaning Vampirella. And while the story seems to imply that the world's in dire straits, we don't really get much of a description as to why. I mean, obviously, having something that's someone that's super evil and tyrannical ruling the world is not the greatest, but we aren't really given any specifics as to what she's doing exactly or how she's persecuting these people. We only know that she's ruling, you know, like on monsters are roaming the earth and you get the impression that it's hell on earth. But at the same time, when you do get to see people who are kind of living in terrible means, sure. But at the same time, it's like, okay, I mean, I mean, are people being tortured, burned at the stake? What's going on here? I mean, if this has been going on for 25 years and this is where it's gotten to, then, you know, if if the worst that could happen to you is you're living on the street, that's not completely terrible, I guess, when, when you consider the alternative that they could just be murdering people left and right, but we don't really get any specifics. I mean, sure, the art looks bleak, and, you know, things look, you know, a bit desolate, but that doesn't really make the circumstances seem very dire. I, I, I don't really know how else to describe If you read the issue, you'll understand exactly what I mean. Now, just saying it's been a long reign isn't quite long enough for me, I guess is where I'm where I'm going with that. We do get to see this kind of quest to try and bring Vampirella back, and 
and that that's very much a big part of the story. I mean, the story's called Vengeance of Vampirella, so I'm not going to spoil anything, but you kind of fill in the blanks for yourself there. I mean, it just feels like a piece of the story is somehow missing. And I'm not sure if there was something else that tied into this that, that I didn't quite get. I mean, you do get the whole, you know, what happened to Vampirella thing. You get all that. Those gaps are filled in. It just feels like there's a part of the story that's missing that should make me, that, that I should be able to appreciate this more than I really did. The art's very good, but there's really not much to back that up so far. So I'm not quite ready to drop this, so I want to find out if in the next issue we get a little bit more info. So I'll definitely go one more and see what happens. That's going to do it for what we're reading, kind of because we got a little bit of a bonus. Going to talk to Felicia Day about her new book. Talk about it next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Cullen Bunn, the writer of Micronauts, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Being completely honest, this is a bucket list one for me. I've been wanting to talk to this woman for a long time because she's supremely talented. She's done a little bit of everything. I mean, you've seen her on The Magicians. I mean, Geek and Sundry, The Guild, you name it. It feels like she's done it. Now she's got another book coming out and so much other great stuff as well. It's Felicia Day. Felicia, how's it going? I'm really great. Thank you for having me on. So you've been really fortunate throughout your career to do a little bit of everything from TV, like I said, to writing books and comics, podcasts. It seems like the list kind of endless. Do you have one thing that you just really love doing more than others, or is it kind of about finding the joy in everything? I love making things, and I know that that's a kind of a weaselly answer, but whatever venue or format I'm doing, I, I just like making things that come from my heart and that no one else could make, and that's what gives me joy. So whatever art I make is what I enjoy. And it's got to be a lot of fun on Voyage of the Stars. It's got to be a blast. And now you're actually adding quite a few members to the cast for season two now. That's already been out for a couple of weeks. So how's it been bringing in somebody like Phil Lamar and Paul F. Tompkins and others to the mix? And what exactly can you tell fans? What can we expect from Elsa Rankford this season? Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a really great season. We also added another regular character, Kirsten Vangsness from Criminal Minds. So she is a, a regular a red panda human hybrid kind of alien. And so she accompanies us on our whole season this season. Um, and yeah, you're right. We have amazing guest stars. My friend J.C. Cox, Angela Kinsey from The Office. We're basically the crew of the spaceship. Me and uh, Colton Dunn and Janet Varney and uh, Steve Berg are making our way back from the, the pocket universe that we were kind of put in last season and trying to find our way back to Earth. And now we know where to go. And we're going to get back to Earth to save it from the big bad nothing that is coming to maybe gobble it up. So along the way, we meet a lot of guest stars, like you said, and we do a lot of crazy shenanigans. But there's a lot of great character moments, especially since Elsa's family is from Earth. And so we're going to get a lot more personal stories uh, from our characters amongst all the crazy hilarity. I got to tell you, I'm really excited about your new book, Embrace Your Weird, Face Your Fears, and Unleash Creativity, because I really think it's something... That certainly a lot of people can relate to. So how important is it for you to share these thoughts? And was it also a bit cathartic for you as well writing this book? Oh, for sure. This book, um, I learned a lot about myself along the way, which is, I think anytime you do really something personal, you grow with your creativity. And that's kind of one of the reasons I wanted to write this book. I want people to understand that creativity is important. It's a necessary part of living. And the more we can find ways to express ourselves in the world, the more I think fulfilled and happy we'll be. So I wanted to write a funny, whimsical, interactive book that would kind of allow other people to unlock what I have sometimes in my work, which is just joy of being who I am. Do you think that something like that and an ability like that is so important, especially now in the, in the age, it seems like there's 
all kinds of reboots and how can we do this differently? Do you think it's now more than ever important to unlock that creativity in so many people, especially new minds coming in to the business as well? 100%. I think the more, I mean, even if you're rebooting something, there has to be your own creativity in it, you know? The more you can bring to the table that is inventive and out of the box and also easy for you to work on, not easy in that the work is easy. It's always going to be work, but effortless in a way where you're really in, t- in, in touch with who you are inside and you have a playfulness with which you get your creativity out there. We, you never know when your creativity is going to touch another person. Um, just the other day I saw a tweet from a woman who said that when she watched a video of mine from 2012, I, I, was, I was crocheting. And she was so inspired by that, she started crocheting, and now she has an Etsy shop, and she does tutorial videos online, wow. and that small, that small amount of creativity I put out in the world, I'm never going to crochet again, maybe, right. but it, it really, it helped somebody else get on a path that's really fulfilling for them. And so we never know what the end result of our creative expression of ourselves will be, but just know that it's important to do, not only for ourselves, for other people, maybe. Social media is kind of a blessing and a curse when it comes to creativity because it feels like it's more difficult than ever to kind of deal with criticism, and it can be kind of intimidating. So it's easy to say, you know, block it out, but do you feel like it's important to embrace it just as much? I mean, for sure. I, I, I think that criticism in general is, you know, it's hard to take, but when you start to objectify it, when you start to, when you recognize the things you love and what you created and you affirm to yourself that, hey, you know what, you did these things well— then when you consider the things that are maybe negative about it that people say, you can look at that evaluation and be like, do I agree with that? Uh, okay, maybe they had a point. Maybe I can take something from that criticism. Do they have a point? No, they're just a jerk. And then you can dismiss them a little bit more. So the more we shore up ourselves inside, the easier it is to get those criticisms and not take them personally because we're confident in who we are. Talking to Felicia Day about her new book, Embrace Your Re- Weird, Face Your Fears, and Unleash Your Creativity, which is out on October the 1st. Now, Felicia, we did an episode several years ago, and it was called Is Is Nerd Still a Dirty Word? Basically talking about how the term has gone from a bullying term to more of a badge of honor. So how do you see it as it stands today? I mean, I think that geek and nerd, nerd things are very mainstream now. It seems, you know, if you go to cons, there are people of all ages. Young people are, like, just being themselves, and they don't really maybe don't have as much of a stigma as, you know, somebody my age growing up or even older would have grown up with, um, loving geeky things. That said, I think that, you know, to me, geek and nerd is like embracing being an outsider a little bit. And that's why my book is called Embrace Your Weird. It's like, even if you like geek and nerd things, yeah, we're mainstream, but there are always things about ourselves that we're going to encounter rejection about. And so those very things that we're rejected for could in fact be our, our creative superpower down the line. Nobody ever shared a video because it looked like 50 other videos that they saw that day. They share it because it's different and it's unique. And that, that person who made that video could have done that video. And so that's what I, kind of a theme in the book is like you really have to dig down and be solid in who you are and what makes you different. And those differences are where you should look to, to when you start new creativity because only you could do that creativity, nobody else. And that's what you really should emphasize in this world. Definitely. Now, your career certainly spans both inside and outside of the nerd world, and you have you've had a lot of opportunities to meet. You have a lot of opportunities to meet fans coming up. What do you get asked the most from fans, or what's something that you hear a lot when you actually get the opportunity to go ahead and reach out like that? Yeah, I hear the most just that. I mean, it's kind of why I wrote the book. Like people were inspired to start creating because of me, or they got help for anxiety and depression because of me and what I do, and that 
you know, just makes it all worth it. Like you can be as rich as possible. You can be as famous as possible. And you can still also be unhappy on, inside because those are not the things that make us happy. They make us more comfortable maybe, but not really sometimes. As we can see, there's plenty of examples of people who are rich and famous and not happy. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think happiness is something we all deserve to strive for. We're not going to get it all the time, but as long as we have a process to get us over those humps and, and back to maybe a state of, uh, of stability and centeredness, the better. And that's really what my book is all about. And I do it in a funny way. So I, I love self-help books, and I wanted to write my own version. I wouldn't be here without self-help books. I've read so many over the years. I wouldn't have been a creator if I hadn't started reading them. But I wanted to do a funny, geeky version of one that was interactive with the audience. So hopefully along the way, if you read a section and you see an exercise, you do it in the book and you find something in yourself that applies to what I just said. And it's not as such a passive experience. because I, I love interacting online with people. I wanted a sliver of that in the book. Now, Felicia, before I let you go, I have to ask, do you miss Poppy as much as I do? And how much are you looking forward to the new season of The Magicians coming up? Oh, gosh. Well, I love Poppy. I mean, she's a character that um, is very different from what I played before. She's a little bit evil, which is nice. Um, a little sinister, but also fun and funny. And I, uh, I would love to go back uh, and play her whenever they have room for me. I, um, I haven't had any plans to do that this season, but I sure will be watching along with fans, and hopefully I will appear with the gang um, one way or another. Do you feel like there's a box that's still left unchecked in your mind in your career? It's like, man, before this is all done, I really hope I get to do this. I've never directed, so I'd really love to direct. And I'd really like to do a movie where I star in it that's a personal journey story. I have some floating around in my head. So I'm really kind of, after, I mean, frankly, after writing my book, I learned a lot about myself and really redefined who I was in a real positive way and what makes me happy and what I want to work on, um, the creative work I want to have in my life. And so I'm certainly, like, reshifting my priorities to really emphasize, like, the original stories that only I can tell and doing things that are different. So hopefully next year, maybe I'll direct something. Hopefully next year I'll write a movie. Who knows? Those are my goals, though. Well, you've got a lot of chances to see Felicia. As a matter of fact, you can hear her on Voyage of the Stars Season 2, which is now available on Apple Podcasts and other popular podcast platforms. You're going to want to get your copy, though, of Embrace Your Weird, Face Your Fears, and Unleash Creativity when it comes out on October the 1st. If you want more information on how you can meet Felicia or find out more information on how you can get your copy of the book, go to Felicia daybook.com so great having her on the show this week it's felicia day thank you so much for taking the time hey thanks so much for having me on i appreciate it hey this is bd wong from gotham on fox and you're listening to the down and nerdy podcast you heard me talk to frank hartz about the show last week so i thought i'd give you my quick spoiler filled review of the prodigal son season one premiere now you know the story already you've got the son of a serial killer who has found his way back to the New York City Police Department to investigate a crime that ends up being a copycat of his dad's crimes that that he committed when he was a a young boy. He hasn't seen his dad for 10 years, too, by the way. So you get to kind of see him taken in by his, you know, an old acquaintance, Gil Arroyo, who we find out, and that's played by Lou Diamond Phillips, by the way. And I'm going to skip ahead a little bit because... The a couple of things that went really, really right for me in this pilot. First of all, you have Tom Payne's Malcolm Bright, who's very, I mean, if eccentric is the word you want to use, you could use that. He's very unconventional, very kind of, you know, almost, you know, just 
crazy at times, for lack of a better term. I mean, you get to see him go off the deep end quite a few times, but then you get to see, again, almost like how he got to that point in the first place. And I mean, when your dad is a notorious serial killer, you're, it's, you know, that's, it's hard to be normal after that. And, it, and we don't quite know what he saw as a child. We get a little bit of that in the very beginning. And I think that's something that's going to play out throughout the season. What did Malcolm actually see from his dad? And we get to see that, that Malcolm as a boy saves Gilroyo's life when he was a, when he was a B cop responding to his dad's house, it's like, my dad's going to kill you. Don't drink that drink. And he ends up being the reason that his dad goes to prison. Now, does his dad know that? I don't think so. We don't know. Again, we don't know that for sure exactly. And uh, something, again, I think we'll see play out as the show plays out. So they, it, clearly what you're going to get here is you're going to get some procedural stuff. You get you get to see him tracking down a killer that was a copycat of what his dad did, you know, a copycat of the surgeon. And that's how everybody at the, you know, at the precinct, you know, JT and Danny, they find out exactly who Malcolm really is because that was kind of a secret at first. But it looks like now we're going to see if they can, you know, be a team and, and work this thing out. And we get to see the dynamic between Malcolm and his and his father, Dr. Martin Whitley, who is played brilliantly, by the way. By Michael Sheen. I like Michael Sheen anyway, but there's this weird, you know, is he reformed or isn't he sort of thing. It's almost very Silence of the Lambs esque, where you're trying to figure out exactly, you know, is he manipulating this whole thing so he can see his son? I don't know. And then you've got the whole family dynamic that Malcolm Bright has, where, you know, mom's trying to keep him from doing this kind of work because she knows how much. It weighs on him, and you got a sister who's who's a reporter, by the way. That's not going to cause any problems in this whole situation, right? So it just seems like there's there's some puppet strings being dangled right now that we don't really completely know the answers to. We think we know, but I don't know if we know that we know. It's it's It was very interesting how this played out. It was actually entertaining at times, too, and funny, which I did not expect the show to be funny at all. And sometimes humor humor like that can really be forced in. And it really, really wasn't forced in. And it really picked its moments. And having a character like Malcolm that could kind of bring that out unintentionally, and maybe at times you're even laughing at stuff that you don't feel like you're going to laugh at. Like when he says to the guy in this in this first episode, I'm going to cut, I'm going to have to cut off your hand to save him from the bomb. I laughed at that. Probably shouldn't have, but I did. I laughed at that. And, I mean, he saves the guy's life, and he saves JT's life in the process, too, by the way, because that bomb was going to go off, and they were not going to make it out otherwise. So it was just very interesting how probably shouldn't have laughed at that, but I did. And there was a couple moments, even in this first episode, that were kind of like that. The other thing that really draws my attention is you've got Danny Powell, who's played by Aurora Pineo, Periano, and basically she seems kind of drawn to Malcolm a little bit, like when Malcolm has one of his night terrors and she kind of consoles him, even though she doesn't really know him, right? So she's either just that kind of person that's just willing to help regardless, or there's, you know, she's kind of taking a shine to him a little bit and we don't know exactly why. Is there some sort of reason why she's drawn to him in a certain way? It's just very intriguing and there, it's just, it's a very interesting show and there's, there's a few dynamics at play here. And yeah, you might call it a procedural a little bit, but I'm very invested 
in this Malcolm Bright character, and you've got the dual, you know, the actually it's a, it's a trifecta. What's going on with his family? What's going on with his dad? And what's going on with what's going to be happening in his career? Because you know he gets fired right at the beginning of the episode. Right at the beginning of the show, he gets fired from this high-profile government job and ends up kind of sneaking into the back door of the New York City Police Department, albeit by in, in invitation and out of necessity, by the way. So now that they've kind of caught the copycat, where do you go from here sort of thing? And that's just it. Where does the show go from episode one to episode two, and where's that focus going to be? But I can tell you, I'm very impressed from what I've seen early on from Fox's Prodigal Son. And yeah, I think we'll be talking about that a little bit more here on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. That's going to do it for my quick spoiler-filled review of the Prodigal One Season 1 premiere. You know I'm not done talking about premieres, right? we got a ton of them. Let's go to Emergence from ABC next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Cass Anvar, Alex Kamal from The Expanse, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Stay tuned. You heard me talk to the cast at San Diego Comic-Con. Now about my spoiler-filled review of the Season 1 premiere of Emergence from ABC, which airs on Tuesday nights. And basically, you know, you've got the whole situation where tons of spoilers here from here on out, by the way. You've got the mysterious plane crash that the small town police are investigating. And the 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 chief of police, Joe, who is played by Allison Tolman, finds the young girl who would eventually be named Piper, played by Alexis Swinton, who there's a very you know serious really weird set of circumstances that surround you know she doesn't have a scratch on her was she in the plane was she not in the plane and just some strange stuff just keeps going on around her and nobody's quite sure what's really going on here and I'm not really going to get into the whole thing but you know you've got the whole clearly there's someone that's looking for this girl because you know you've got fake government agents and fake parents and all this other stuff but. One thing I really liked about the show, and I'm not going to get into every little aspect of this first episode. One thing I really liked about the character Joe from Allison Tolman is that she's very, very clever. She's very heady. There are certain things where, you know, the cops can be portrayed pretty as pretty dumb on TV sometimes. I mean, you've seen it in, in other shows before. It's like, really? You couldn't figure that out? How'd you let that one slip by? But no, like the way she sniffs out the fake parents, right? And she wants to see the guy's phone. You know, you sh- you'd have pictures of your kids on your phone, right? So she kind of gets she kind of gets that information out. And the way she really is able to connect with this little girl to this, she's a very smart woman, and I really really like that. And that 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 she really seems to know what's going on, and really seems to be figuring th- figuring things out. Pretty quickly, and I like that because this doesn't seem like things are going to drag out too long anyway. I mean, obviously the mystery is going to be there; it has to be there for a show like this, right? With Piper, but at the same time, you feel like nothing's going to slip by her because she's a little bit dumb, and that happens with the police on on certain shows like this sometimes. And I love that she's got somebody in Chris Minetto, played by Robert Bailey Bailey Jr., who has her back. This is a young cop who respects his boss and has her back no matter what. I, I really, really think that that's cool. And I, I, and I love that character too, by the way. I love the character of Chris already. But my favorite part about this show so far is the dynamic between the girls, between Piper and Bree. It's just the way that, that Bree, who's Allison's daughter, with, uh, with uh, Alex, who's played by Donald Faison, with, and that's the dad, the way that they just sort of connect 
and the way that Bree sort of, you know, takes Piper under her wing and almost like a, a big sister role. You know, it's like she's just such a good kid. And maybe it's because I have kids. And, you know, that it's just as a dad, I love seeing that, that the older the older, the older, older daughter is going to, this girl's not even related to her, but she's in her house and she wants to make her feel comfortable. She's very, very friendly with her, doesn't ask questions, right? Just wants to be this girl's friend. I really, really liked that about this. And especially when stuff starts to hit the fan, too. They're just, they've got that family dynamic already. And it's like, these are just good people. And there's nothing wrong with that. And as you see this mystery sort of start to unfold, I will admit, in the middle of the episode, it does get a little bit slow. And there was one part in this episode that bothered me. They basically have to go to this cabin because Joe realizes something's up and that somebody might be coming after her family. So she says to her her ex-husband, like, you know, move the move them to this place that only we know about. Well, they end up tracking them down there and they're running away from the bad guys. Well, we don't really know who the bad guys are yet. That's the other thing I will say. Now... You've got the dad, the dad's, Joe's dad, who's played by Clancy Brown, who's sick. And they're all escaping and they're getting out through this window and, and dad can't get out. And Clancy Brown's character of Edge says, he says, go, go, go ahead, get them out of here. And you're like, you're, gonna, you're a cop and you're leaving your dad behind. He's, why would you do that? Why would you leave dad behind? First of all, Clancy Brown's a national treasure. You don't leave Clancy Brown behind okay you're a cop you go get dad i'm not sure maybe i'm forgetting did they resolve that because i'm not sure they ever really went back to get dad so does does dad get captured is he is he part of this what's really going on i'm not sure i don't think he does right but you know they end up grabbing piper at one point and then you know joe races after her we don't really get a whole lot of resolution for that in the first episode so i'm not sure i can go from episode one to episode two where all of a sudden you know dad's back and ed's back in the picture and you know oh everything's fine no i made it out just fine when he could barely breathe and get out the window i mean he's got cancer there's a reason that he couldn't make it out of there and that's the other reason you did you leave him really you leave him i don't know yeah i mean that just bugged me a little bit just that of all the things that made sense in the show that one did make a whole lot of sense to me and if i'm misremembering this by the way please blast me on twitter for it at down and nerdy 757 i'm more than happy to get blasted for this and but just when things were getting a little slow and you're either enjoying the show for the dynamic between the characters or not at that point because you, you've kind of say, okay, here's the mystery. We're going to slowly figure this out bit by bit. There's going to be clues and it's going to be that kind of show. And there's nothing wrong with that. It, it actually did it pretty well. Then you see at the end of the show where Piper clearly remembers something and then just cuts this thing out of her neck and throws it down the sink, flips her hair so nobody sees the scar and you're like, okay, is this little girl part of something? Is she bad or not? Because you think she's sweet, she's good, she's innocent, right? Then you see her cut this thing out of her neck with a box cutter and throw it down the sink. And not like the, oh, I remembered this thing was in me. I'm scared. I need to cut this out and throw it away sort of thing. She clearly doesn't want to leave this family, so she doesn't want anybody to know. I get that part. But she cuts this thing out of her neck, throws it, and it's the it's the face that she makes in the mirror that makes me go, hold on a second. Maybe she's not so innocent after all. So to me, that's the intriguing part of this. And the hashtag for the show is, who is Piper? And that's the question that I was left with at the end of the show. Who is Piper? And exactly, does she need saving or is it the other way around? I'm not really sh- exactly sure yet, but I'm in it for this character-driven show anyway. 
So I'm willing to let the mystery sort of play out. And hopefully there's a payoff here. Because again, they were, the middle of the first episode was a little bit slow. I will say that. I'm really hoping that those slow moments are few and far between in the next couple of episodes. Because I don't want this show to lose me because I think it has huge potential. That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of Emergence. How about we take it another night ahead? We'll go to Wednesday night, talk about the Stumptown premiere. Spoilers ahead for that as well on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, everyone. This is D.B. Woodside from Lucifer, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Make it a trifecta of reviews this week because we're going to do a spoiler-filled review of the first episode of Stumptown from ABC based on the Greg Rucka graphic novels. As he, may, as he points out, that there's certainly... More than one. And basically, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get into, again, every little aspect of the show. But first of all, top to bottom, this might be the best cast for any new show on TV right now that is premiered. From top to bottom, this cast is stacked. Might be one of the best casts on TV, period. I mean, you're already talking about Kobe Smulders, Jake Johnson, Michael Ely, Cameron Manheim. But I'll tell you what. Tantu Cardinal as Sue Lin, owns this first episode. She is so fantastic. And when they told me in the press room that she was the boss, she is the boss. Whether it be cops, decks, anyone else, she is the boss. No doubt about that. And, of course, the whole first episode, again, tons of spoilers here, is about her granddaughter essentially being kidnapped. First she was a runaway, then she was kidnapped, after that, it was a whole crazy situation, or at least we thought she was a runaway. It turns out it was a boyfriend all along. But that, that is, you know, neither here nor there at this point, because that almost takes a backseat to the fact that this is very much, regardless of what else is going on around it or whatever quote-unquote procedural thing might be in the works here, this is a extremely character-driven drama based around a broken woman that is Dex Perrius. This is a woman who really is trying, it seems like. She she thinks she knows how to do the right thing, or she really wants to do the right thing, but she's she doesn't, A, know how to go about it, really, and B, she's so damaged that she's not sure she can do what's necessary to not just do the right thing, but to take care of her brother, Ansel, who has, Ansel has special needs, and it's just amazing how she has, she definitely has a group of people around her that want to help her, but she is stubborn. And that's the thing about, that's frustrating about Dex is how stubborn she is. So when you're approaching this show, you either, you either love Dex, and I do love Dex. You either can't stand Dex and you want to see how she's going to screw things up next, or you relate to Dex. You feel for Dex, but either no matter how you feel about Dex, this is a character that will draw an emotion out of you one way or another, and that's great storytelling. That is something that you want that no matter how you feel about this character, you can't help but have an opinion or have a feeling about this character because of her strong presence and the fact that the representation of her PTSD, I think, is really, really solid. It's amazing. It very much affects who she is and how she is now. Plus, you've got the fact that she was basically rejected by her fiance's family. 
Nat plays a big role in things. She's very self-destructive when it comes to relationships, but she's very, very clever. She's witty, and I love that about her. And Kobe Smulders is Dex. I mean, she is so great in this role and just makes and brings out the best in that character. Michael Ely, I'm a huge fan of anyway. I can't wait to see the the dynamic, how where that goes between Miles and Dex throughout the season. And Cameron Mannheim, I love too. She is just, she she's one of the, it's almost like she throws her hands up and goes, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Dex is crazy. Sue Lin thinks that she runs this town that I'm supposed to be running. And, and, and I'm going to tell you, she one of these times, and it didn't really happen yet in this episode, but Cameron Mannheim has that kind of presence about her. I'm, I'm thinking Lieutenant Cosgrove is going to put her foot down at some point. And, and it's going to be ugly. Once she finally decides that she's had enough, it's going to be pretty, pretty ugly. But now seeing, this is how we find out how Dex sort of becomes the private investigator, right? She, we, You saw that she had those skills when she figured everything out that was going on with with Su Lin's granddaughter and the and the whole and the boy and the thing with the boyfriend and everything like that. She figures it all out. So then she ends up getting offered a job and you know that's where things are gonna go from here. So is she gonna be able to afford to take care of her brother now? Is she gonna be able to afford to have a life and maybe put herself back together or help people or allow people to help her put herself back together? Is this something that's either she's going to need and it's gonna be therapeutic for her or is it going to blow up in her face and make everything even worse as Gray McConnell, her friend played by Jake Johnson, seems to think that it might? Because he's looking out for her, it seems like, more than anybody else. But what I love about the show the most is not necessarily the stories that are occurring within it as far as, you know, the quote-unquote story of the week type of thing. It's these. It's the story that's driven by these characters and how they interact with each other and how it all centers around a character like Dex, who I am rooting for, quite frankly. And, and I'm not even going to talk about how true or untrue this stays to the comic because I'm just enjoying the moment of what I'm seeing from Stumptown right now. And it did have a couple slow minutes in the pilot, but it's a pilot, and that kind of stuff's going to happen. I just I saw so much in the characters in this first episode that I think that this show is definitely on the right track. It knows what it wants to be, and it's going to be a fantastic story going forward. That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of the Stumptown Season 1 premiere and series premiere up next. Yeah, there's going to be an Arrow spinoff. We'll talk about it in Nerd News. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Aubrey Sitterson, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Premieres aren't the only things making headlines in the TV world. It's time for Nerd News, and I am stupid excited about this. An Arrow spinoff is going to be happening, and it looks like it's all going to be about the Canaries. Deadline's reporting that a spinoff centered around the character of Mia, who, of course, is Oliver and Felicity's daughter, played by Catherine McNamara, is going to be happening. But not only that, also bringing along Katie Cassidy and Juliana Harkvey as Black Siren and Black Canary. So it's going to be a Canaries spinoff of epic proportions. And you kind of kind of know when you're watching last season of Arrow, that this was a possibility and that they weren't quite done with that character of Mia Smoke or Blackstar, whatever you want to call her. I don't know if she's going to get her code name right away or not. 
But there's, there, are, there are a couple of things that we're not quite sure about. Now, there will be kind of a backdoor pilot in this final season of Arrow, so we're going to get to see part of what this series is going to be like, and it's going to be written by Beth Schwartz and Mark Guggenheim, Joe Blankenship, and Oscar Balderamo. So, you know, a lot of folks are very, very familiar with Arrow. So it is still going to be the Arrowverse. After all, it seems like, even though this is going to be a brand new series in its own right, but we don't really know what timeline that's going to take place in. That was not really confirmed. So, and I know that it seems obvious that it would take place in the future, but I mean, then again, with Crisis on Infinite Earths, and you know, you have no idea what's going to happen with the timeline. I mean, Mia can end up in present day Star City somehow. It could just end up being in the future, and I'm, I'm overthinking this. That's certainly a possibility. Are we going to see... William, are we going to see Diggle's family involved in this at any at any point? This it's just very interesting to find out how this is going to move forward, especially how things ended back in Star City 2049, right? How that sort of ended there. There wasn't necessarily a conclusion per se, but it was kind of decisive in the moment. So how this story will go forward, I think is absolutely going to be determined by what happens on Crisis on Infinite Earths. And maybe it'll be a lot different than we think it's going to be. But even if it is set in the future, and I'm overthinking this, I'm, I'm really, really excited for this. I loved the Mia Smoke character. I think Catherine McNamara is fantastic. I love the fact that Katie Cassidy and Juliana Harkavade, the Canaries, are going to stick around. I am all in for this, and I can't wait to see where this is going to go. Here's something that's going absolutely nowhere, and that is the Ghost Rider solo series that was supposed to happen at Hulu and now not so much. Again, according to Deadline, the plans for the Ghost Rider series with Gabriel Luna as Robbie Reyes reprising that role is not going to be moving forward. Now, before I get into why, interesting part of this is is that the Hellstrom Marvel's Hellstrom series that's scheduled for Hulu also premiering in 2020 is still it's that one's still happening. So, you know, once again, the whole creative differences thing rears its ugly head and showrunner Stephen Lightfoot's series is not going to be going forward. Those animated series, too, by the way, you know, the MODOK series, the Hit Monkey, Tiger and Dazzler and Howard the Duck, those are still happening as well. But, you know, I think this one is disappointing as it is. And I know I wasn't the biggest fan of the whole Ghost Rider thing on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but I remember when I, I remember reading about the story originally about how, oh, we're just going to forget about everything that happened on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We're just going to, you know, we're going to do our own thing. It's going to be the ghost. It's going to be a Ghost Rider story. And we're just not going to pay attention to any of the stuff that happened on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I remember thinking at the time, really? You, you expect people to just ignore all that. They, it never happened. You know, oh, we're just going to tell a different story now. I don't think that they had the right approach for that. If that was the case. Now, again, a lot of the stuff wasn't really confirmed or anything, but if that was the case, it's like, really, you can't just, you know, you can't undo it in a sense. I know it was 2016 and this would have premiered four years later, 2020, but at the same time, it's like, you gotta, it would almost be better to acknowledge that. I'm not saying you got to bring in guest stars or something from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to, to cement that, but you know, don't pretend like it never happened either. And, and I don't know what the back and forth struggle was and what the creative differences were. Maybe those were the creative differences were, you know, we can't just ignore this. No, I want to ignore this. And then Hulu's like, you know what? We're out. I know that Disney's going to basically end up owning Hulu at some point anyway. And they, they have a pretty good stake in it as it is. But, you know, will this 
Ghost Rider series? Will it end up on Disney Plus? I think ABC is out. I think they want to go a much more hardcore direction with this Ghost Rider series. Or is it the MCU? Do they just want to bring Ghost Rider into the MCU now? Are they just going to have a, a feature movie? Although, after all those movies that were announced at D23, where do you put this at this point, right? Where, where would a Ghost Rider movie even fit in or make sense? And I, I've seen some ways that fans think that, you know, they can be worked in here and there. I'm like, you know what? No, it's just, no, there's no sense in trying to squeeze this character in to another movie. You're either going to do this or you're not. And it looks like right now that answer is not. Here's something to definitely get excited about nostalgia wise. And that is the fact that the original cast of Jurassic Park is indeed coming back for Jurassic World 3. This was actually announced at a screening for Battle of Big Rock that happened in Los Angeles recently that Jeff Goldblum, Laura Dern, and Sam Neill together again for the first time in forever for Jurassic World 3. I can't wait to see this group get back together, especially Laura Dern and Sam Neill. We got to see Dr. Ian Malcolm in the last movie in Fallen Kingdom, and now maybe things are just that dire, right? Because, you know, you've still got... Chris Pratt, you've still got Bryce Dallas Howard, you've still got those characters, and they've done an okay job up to this point. But now it's almost like, okay, things are bad, dinosaurs are everywhere, and we need to bring back this original group to help set things right. And rumors are they're going to have a big role in the upcoming movie. Now, last time the dinosaurs were roaming around the streets of America, Sam Neill was the one dealing with it in Jurassic Park 3. So it's, you know, you almost bring in somebody with a little bit of experience in this area. And, you know, that that tended to work out pretty well, right? That was also the last time we saw Ellie, too, by the way. So the last time we saw Grant and Ellie was in Jurassic Park 3. And I know that, you know, it seems like at least Neil, anyway, had been hesitant to sort of come back to the franchise in the past. And you don't necessarily want to cram nostalgia in. Again, that's another thing. You don't want to cram it in. It has to make sense within the story. So waiting for this third movie when the script is in and, you know, Colin Trevorrow is back to direct it. Almost feels like if you're going to do this and they're agreeing to do this, it almost seems like there has to be a good reason for this. Like they've seen it and say, this is the right time. This is the right way to do this and bring this back in. I quite frankly, I thought they did. They've done a great job with the last two movies, and I'm all for trying to figure out how you meld these two worlds together. And given the circumstances, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to see how that would happen. Really quick, before we move on and talk about Supergirl a little bit more, I want to talk about the Batman, because there's a lot of rumors surrounding casting beyond Robert Pattinson's Batman now. First starting with a Hollywood reporter saying that Jeffrey Wright, who you know from Hunger, the last couple of Hunger Games movies, and he was also in Westworld and a bunch of other stuff, could be playing Commissioner Gordon in the upcoming movie. And there's also the talk from Variety that Jonah Hill is going to be cast in a mystery role. So let's take this one at a time. Let's take Jeffrey Wright, for example. Great cast for Commissioner Gordon if this happens. This dude can flat out act. If you've seen him in anything, he's just got this presence about him. And and if you're going to play Commissioner Gordon in this just crazy atmosphere that is Gotham City. You need somebody that's stoic, can own that scene. Even in a scene with Batman, you're not going to own any scene with Batman in it necessarily. But you have to have a strong presence. And Jeffrey Wright, in everything I've ever seen him in, just has this presence about him. It's unflappable. And that's the kind of Commissioner Gordon 
that I want. I want, you know, Gary Oldman, I thought, did a good job, but I thought that he, you know, he could be flustered at times. And that's not Jim, that's not Jim Gordon at all, I don't think. I think that Jim Gordon stands tall, uncorruptible, and I think that that is exactly what Jeffrey Wright can bring to this role. Now, as far as Jonah Hill goes, there's been rumors forever that he's going to be part of this movie, right? And everybody's saying, well, he's going to play Penguin. And I think he even teased it a time or two on social media, didn't he, that he wanted to be a part of this and maybe play Penguin. He slimmed down a bit, though, so he might not be able to play Penguin anymore. I mean, you could certainly, you know, change that and play Penguin at the drop of a dime if you really wanted to. And, of course, Robin Lord Taylor wasn't super big either when he played Penguin on Gotham. Different set of circumstances, I know, but that's it's not out of the realm of possibility is all I'm saying. And then, you know, there's there's a faction on the Twitterverse that says, you know, Riddler could be a possibility for Joni Hill. And I didn't even think about that. But the more I thought about it, I was like, you know, that's not crazy. That's not completely out there. I could certainly see him playing Riddler. And I mean, for the Batman, I think you're going to have a little bit more top of the line, more well-known villain as a part of this movie. I don't think we're going to dig too deep here. I don't think we're going to go with like a like a calendar man or a kite man or something like that. I don't think that they're really going to go that route. I don't think we're going to see Mad Hatter or anything like that. Although I could I could certainly see Jonah Hill playing Mad Hatter. There's just a whole bunch of characters that I don't see being a part of this movie. I think when you're trying to relaunch the Batman franchise basically, you're going to want a mainline villain who's not the Joker but can still get people's attention like, oh, I know who that villain is. Oh, this is going to be good. So if if indeed Jonah Hill is going to be playing that role, I'm cool with it being Penguin or Riddler. I'd love to see Riddler on the big screen again. Certainly one of my favorites, if not the favorite Batman villain that I have. But I think Danny DeVito did such a good job as Penguin. It's really, really hard to go. And it, uh, completely different kinds of movies, I'm sure. But And I even think Robin Lord Taylor did a great job for his version of the Penguin that he got to do. I would just say that, you know, maybe I will be surprised and this will be a a character that that I'm not really thinking of off the top of my head. I mean, there's certain characters where off the top of your head you know that it's not going to be like a Scarecrow. I don't think he would play that character in a million years. It's not going to be Mr. Freeze or anything like that. So we'll just have to see where this goes. I'm very interested to see exactly who Joni Hill might be playing. Apparently part of this deal hinges on who he's going to be playing, though. So if he has a say in this, I'm very curious to see what it would end up being and who he would want to play in a Batman movie. It's going to do it for Nerd News. Up next, time to talk to the cast and producers of Supergirl about the upcoming season before the premiere hits. We'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is J.D. Hamlet from Supergirl. Hi, you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's crazy to think that we're already on season five of Supergirl, right? And as a matter of fact, that's going to be premiering on the CW Sunday, October the 6th at 9 p.m. And I got a chance to sit down with members of the cast and producers at San Diego Comic-Con this year, starting with Jesse Rath, who of course plays Brandy, and David Harewood, who is John Jones on the show. And the question for them was, what can you say about Crisis and how it affects your character? Uh, I can't talk about Crisis uh, a lot, but I'm really, really looking forward to it. It's going to be... Um it's going to be awesome. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty big crossover, as I'm sure you know. You know, we've got two Supermen. Yeah. Uh, which is great. I mean, Brandon to um, put that suit on again must be awesome. Right. So, um, and he was, I actually really enjoyed him as Superman. 
So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him again. And I love Tyler. I mean, I think what he's done, what he brings to the role is, is fantastic. So I think it's going to be a really awesome sort of uh, event, TV event. And I think it's going to be the coolest thing DC has ever yeah, done. It's, for, for comic book fans, I think it's just going to be awesome. I'm so excited for it as a fan. And then I remember that I'm going to be in the scenes too. <laughs> and so I keep on pitching that they should bring Sammy Huntington uh, the the Jimmy Olsen of the Brandon Routh Superman Returns universe into, yeah. into the fold too. Um, I'm going to keep on pitching that. Good, so. good. Keep pitching. Keep pitching. Up next, it was Nicole Maines who plays who plays Neonal and Dreamer, and Makad Brooks who plays James Olsen. I had to ask Makad because it was right when the news broke. How does it feel knowing that you're leaving the show this season? So, big news for you this week. You're going to be leaving the show. What are the emotions? I mean, it's still kind of raw, I'm sure, for, for all of us. What are the emotions like for you heading into the season, knowing that it's your last? It's harder than I thought, actually. Um, I mean, I knew I was going to miss everybody, but but as that as that impending deadline approaches, I'm uh, it's it's tough. I'm going to cry at some point in time today. I'm, I can feel it, <laughs> so I'm just trying to drink a lot of water. <laughs> It's, it's, it's tougher than I thought. I, I love these people. This is my family. Um, everybody here is my family. And I've never been a part of I've been doing this a long time. I've been doing this since she was, like, you were in diaper space. <laughs> so, a month ago? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I've never been a part of a show where the cast and, and much of the crew got along as well as we, as we all do. And writers and, it's just family, so it's it's a, it's a really it's, it's tough, tough, tougher than I thought. Next up, the question for Nicole was, who would you like to see your character get more scenes with this year? I don't get to do a lot of scenes with kind of anybody in Nikazi. Um, I don't. I, so I want to do more scenes with um, Ozzy, Andrea, um, and Katie. Um, I want to do more scenes with. Kyler, I don't get to do a lot of scenes with her. She wants to do more with me, but I won't be We're there. Always, I mean, de facto. <laughs> I'm always in scenes with you. I, I know, but you want more, and I, I know, I know how you feel. <clears throat> and then I, I hope I get to meet more people when we finally do the crossover. Because I haven't gotten to interact with really many of them at all. Next question for Nicole was, how is Nia balancing her hero life with her reporter life coming up this season? So far, pretty good. Um, there's a lot of times where it's been a good balance between kind of like me being out in the field um, and kicking butt and then also kind of like holding down the fort because of course now we also have um, Andrea Rojas um, who's kind of like taking over Catco. Um, and so a lot of my scenes the first couple episodes are kind of like they're all, you know, kind of scrambling trying to figure out this new villain and me as a cat co being like, girl, where are you? Things are going insane. Um, so a lot of the time I'm, and then I have some really great episodes coming up um, with David where we kind of combine our powers, which is going to be really cool. And finally, the question from Akkad was, is James, how's James going to deal with Alex dating his sister now? Alex, if you hurt my sister, I will kill you. <laughs> um, I'm a brother, you know, any, any older brother is going to be really protective, but at the same time, obviously, Alex's family. I, I know her heart, I know how she is, so, yeah, 
it's a great match. Up next, it was Katie McGrath, who of course plays Lena Luthor, and Andrew Brooks, the new regular cast member, of course plays Miss Eve Tessmacher. And the question for Andrew was, talk about what's happening with your character starting off this season after how last season ended. I know we've left off. She's in quite a pickle at that bus stop. Yeah. Uh, so she has to make some decisions. Is she going to double down, hide, run away? Is she going to go in? Is she going to beg forgiveness? Is she going to confront her past? She has many pasts and many different layers to her past. Um, I mean, I think Leviathan, we all know that that's going to be explored further, and we're going to deep dive into her history a little bit more. And she's an enigma. She's a complicated, complex character. I adore this character. It's my favorite character I've ever played. And again, just hitting all these interesting peaks and valleys and levels, and she's got a lot to deal with. She probably should be in therapy. <laughs> it's her own fault. I, well, <laughs> I, sorry. <laughs> Obviously, we have stuff we need to work on. Yeah. <laughs> Team science. therapy with each other. Wouldn't that be like an amazing storyline? Wouldn't that be a great episode? You, just, you have like Ozzy as Kelly, right? And just everybody's going in for therapy. Because I would people love need that. I would love We're that. all very broken people, and we obviously need help. Very broken. So. You know, somebody had to ask it, right? So they asked Katie, how long before Lena confronts Kara about the truth? So maybe she never will. We don't know. That's why she needs therapy, right? <laughs> we're, not, we're not that far in. We've only started filming a couple of episodes, so, you know, with 20 episodes to go, you've got a long journey to plot. And you think about it, this is, this is you know, we're five seasons in, the fifth season, we've been building up to this. So it's it's a huge moment, and it's a huge moment for my character, and I, I don't think I'm stepping out of line saying it's a huge moment for Melissa's character as well. Um, and it's it's the idea for me, or for Lena, is, is what this does to you as a person, when you realize that not only your best friend's been lying to you, but everyone. Like everyone has kept this truth from you and how that makes you feel separate and how that makes you feel different and, and, and treated, you know, badly and, and what that does to somebody and how they move forward from that. And I think I think the Lena you see at end of season four hasn't really thought about it yet, is just basically trying to survive. And we don't pick up that far ahead in, in season five, and so we're about a month later. And, and I think she's still coming to terms with this desperate, great, deep hurt. And in, in typical Luther fashion, she doesn't decide to just, you know, go to therapy. She decides the answer is she's going to save humanity. Because we don't think small. Luther's dreaming, <laughs> you know? So that's where she's at. It's, it's, it's this idea that when everything you know has been taken away from you, how do you stand back up and keep going? And Lena, that's what she does. No matter what you do to her, she keeps going. But it's who she is after this. She's moving forward, but who is she? So that's what we're going on season five. Next to sit down was Kyler Lee, who plays Alex, and of course, Ozzy Tesfai, who plays Kelly Olson. And the question that was posed to Kyler was, how are things going at the DEO to start the season? This season, we're kind of like starting things off really, I think everybody trying to find where their footing is and how it all comes to play, because they just came off of all this crisis that happened. Um, obviously with Lex and with Red Daughter and so much happened last season towards the end I think walking into it this season is sort of like okay let's kind of like just ease in just a little bit as far as the DEO goes and then kind of some really cool stuff later like happens later this season with the DEO like crazy stuff but I can't talk about that yeah it's great to get to talk to Melissa Benoist, who plays Supergirl on Supergirl, of course, and Sarah Schechter, who is one of the executive producers. First question for Melissa was, given, what happened in, given what's happened in the comics, 
Are you kind of nervous going into crisis this year? I know. I was saying that. I hope what happens in the comic books does not happen to me. Yeah, me too. I don't anticipate it happening. <laughs> well, you already had to cheat death once in the last one. So it's true. We had a you don't have to do that again. <laughs> And finally, you had to ask Melissa about it after seeing the pictures. Talk about that new suit. I love the new suit. I think um, logistically... This is something else Melissa has wanted for a while. Yes. <laughs> I think this skirt, I was so happy with it. You know, Grant and Steven have had new, new iterations of their suits every season, and I never felt the need until I was. we were up in Vancouver and it was very cold. And, <laughs> well, and also last year you did. You wore two different suits with pants. I did, and, and I loved them. Um, and this just feels like a, the right evolution for uh, Supergirl and Kara. Uh, it feels really powerful and um, a more modern and adult, so I'm really happy about it. Finally, we got to sit down with Jessica Queller, who's one of the producers of Supergirl, also Robert Rovner as well. And the first question for them was, you know, with Bendis's Leviathan kind of still in progress at DC Comics, how are you incorporating it into this season? We're just doing our own. <laughs> we're inspired by uh, that, but uh, we're, as we always do, you know, we're gifted these great characters from uh, DC to be able to use and to play with, and we like, you know, we incorporate them into the stories that we are telling. And finally, my question for the producers were, are there any new dynamics for the characters coming up this season of the show? Are there any new dynamics for characters that we've seen on the show? these past five seasons that we haven't seen before that we might see this season? Well, well the, the dynamic between Kara and Lena, of course, is going to be completely changed. Uh, with, with Lena's... Um, Lena's Achilles heel is betrayal, and so the fact that the person she trusted the most, her best friend Kara, had lied to her in this way, um, you know, really devastates her. So we're going to be battling for their friendship and see if it can recover and um, other char existing character dynamics. I mean, that's the big one. Uh, but, uh, you know, the whole season, you know, the characters. Uh, go through a gauntlet every season and so this season will be no, no different. I think this season uh, we're returning to more of the, uh, the uh, relationship storytelling uh, that we uh, have done in the past and more of an escapist uh, vibe so uh, you know, there'll be more stuff going on. It just seems like this is going to be a jam-packed season of Supergirl, doesn't it? I mean, not that last season wasn't jam-packed, but you know, with the fallout with Lena, and you've got Leviathan, the crossover, and, you know, who knows what else is going to be thrown at Kara and at Alex and at James and Nia. There's just such a huge dynamic coming up this year. This is going to be, I think, one of the best seasons of Supergirl yet, and it's going to start Sunday, October the 6th at 9 p.m. Eastern on the CW. Make sure you're watching it. You can also watch it again on the CW app as well. That's going to do it for this week. Speaking of jam-packed edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast, if you want to keep up with everything that's going on, downandnerdypodcast.com, also on social media, at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and Instagram, facebook.com slash downandnerdy as well. Next week, it's going to be Black Lightning. You're going to hear from the cast and producers of that show next week here on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. But remember, for this week, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly. Be good to your fellow nerds.